I'm Will, and this is my wife, Dallas. Hi. And this is Not the Beginning, a podcast where a longtime Wheel of Time fan and a Wheel of Time newbie read through each of the 14 books in this long series. Morning. This podcast may not be suitable for younger audiences, and will contain spoilers. If you've not read Robert Jordan's The Shadow Rising, please proceed with caution. Not the prophecies of the dragon, I said I. The Jendai prophecy, the prophecy of the Koromor. Not the one you wait for and dread, the one we seek, herald of a new age. At the breaking of the world, our ancestors fled to the safety of the sea while the land heaved and broke as storm waves do. It is said they knew nothing of the ships they took to flee, but the light was with them and they survived. They did not see the land again until it was still once more, and by then much had changed. All, everything, the world, drifted on the water and the wind. It was in the years after that the Jendai prophecy was first spoken. We must wander the waters until the Kormor returns and serve him at his coming. On this episode of Not the Beginning, we will dive in and discuss chapters 18 through 22 of The Shadow Rising. Note, I have not read past chapter 22, and Will is going to do his best not to bring anything from the rest of The Shadow Rising or the next 10 books in during our discussion. So as long as you've read through chapter 22, you should be good. If you haven't, I recommend pausing here and going to read. Chapter summaries, as always, from dragonmount.com. Perrin's party sets out, split in two. Loyal, Fael, Bane, and Chiad in one group, with Perrin and Gaul following. They enter the Waygate. Nynaeve and Elaine board a Seafolk ship and negotiate passage to Tanchico. Tom and Julin join Nynaeve and Elaine on the Seafolk ship. Nynaeve makes the men promise to obey her orders. Elaine catches the ship's wayfinder channeling. Rand announces that he will send Tyran armies to Kyrian escorting grain, and places Kalimdor back in the stone, warded. He announces that he is going to Roydian. Rand leads Egwene, Moraine, Lan, and the Aiel to a portal stone outside of Tyr. Ruark points out the symbol for Roydian. Rand activates it. Okay, another section down. We're somewhere around the halfway mark. Um, 40% of the way in. 40%? I think a little, actually a little bit less than 40% because we split it into 11 chunks this, this time. This is episode four. This is episode four. I thought this was episode five. <laughs> I have lost all semblance of knowledge of what, like, progress is. Well, also time has been thrown off a little bit because we got the new kitten, so. We did get a new kitten. She is adorable. Yes. Maybe I'll post a picture when this episode goes up. Possibly. I already have a picture on my Instagram. She's cute as damn it, yes. as my dad would say. <laughs> anyway, this is not a podcast where we talk about our, our adorable kitten, Who, although I could talk about her for hours. This is a Wheel of Time podcast. She has little white socks. Little white socks. Anyway, yes. yeah, it's a middle, it, it, it's, this is a middle section, right? We've this hit is... this in the previous three books where we hit 30 to 40% of the way through, and it's like, okay, stop moving the plot forward. This is the lull between that, like, first big plot point and the midpoint. Yeah. And I gotta say, of all of the books so far, this has the best one. I think so. I can't really tell. I'm just gonna push book three out of my comparisons. (laughs) We all know I did not like Dragon Reborn, but... It's been so long since I read books one and two that I can't remember specific things about. Yeah, book so book two had all of the like hopping from town to town, hunting Pat and Fane. 
Yes. And book one, I want to say about this point in book one is when they all got split up. I think so. Yeah, that was like Shatter Logoth. And... Yeah. And somewhat ironically, they're all splitting up here. This is the section where they're all going their different ways. Yes. But it does. it's not forced here. It doesn't feel like, well, they weren't forced. It didn't feel forced in the first book. It was like, okay, things are happening. They, it makes sense. Yeah. But... They were sort of forced apart, but that was by actual plot, not by, huh, I should force them apart because of plot. Right. It, like, there's a difference between those two things. Right. This one, they're they're not being forced apart, and it doesn't feel like they're being forced apart for plot reasons, aside from maybe Perrin. But again, the genius of Taviran means that anything one of the three boys do, it's hard for it to feel forced because they're fucking Taviran. Right. And even, like, Rand says, one of us had to go back. Perrin's the one who wanted to. Yes, he is. I guess Rand kind of wanted to, but Rand's feeling conflicted about it. He knows he can't. Yeah. And Matt doesn't want to go home yet. No, and he also doesn't want to die, which is why he's going to Rodian. That's true. With with Matt, we do have the advantage of knowing what his questions were. We don't know that for Moraine or Rand. We don't. And a lot of the Rand section here has Moraine thinking, like, is that because of the Turangreal? Did the snake people tell him? Something? Yeah, like what is what are your secrets? Please tell me what you saw in there. Which is just, it's kind of an invasive question. It's kind of like asking bit. someone what they saw in the mirror of Erised. Like, it's a very personal thing. Yeah. And you don't ask that. Like, Maureen well, wouldn't tell. Maureen wouldn't tell, so why should she expect no. someone else to tell her? Well, because the thing. Maureen's rules don't apply to Maureen. She's Aes Sedai. None of the Aes Sedai rules apply to Aes Sedai. Yeah, yeah, well, she... <laughs> And now, in Moraine's defense, she has a little bit more of an argument when Rand's questions have a lot more to do, potentially, with the fate of the world. Yes, however, she just wants to control him. And I don't think that's a good thing. Because we finally no. get a point of view in Moraine's perspective again. And we, we, only learn... got that, we only got that like one little bit back in book two. Yeah. And in this section, we get a lot of her inner monologue and just, like... We get a lot of how much Moraine has been pulling the strings behind the scenes. Yeah, and I think, like, her trying to pull the strings is more interesting when you're not in her head. When you're in her head, she just has stronger Dumbledore vibes. And I don't want to dislike Moraine, so I would (laughs) just like to not be in her head. She's a... She's a very complicated Dumbledore. She is. And I'm not on the, like, let's hate on Moraine train, but <laughs> she was think... very annoyed in this section, too. We can yes. kind of skip to the Moraine stuff, because that's, like, the bigger... All that... the things kind of happen independently, too. And that section with Rand is kind of the big part of this yeah. section that we read. That's the biggest takeaway, is the stuff with... Rand. And we get that through Moraine's perspective, which is interesting. It is. We do get his perspective later when they're traveling to the Portal Stone. It's just interesting. Like, I understand not having his perspective be him making the announcement. I understand seeing that from someone else's perspective. It's just interesting that it was Moraine. It kind of felt like it came out of nowhere. Yeah. Like, I expected it to be Egwene. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I was thinking the same thing when I was reading it. I was like, mm, the first, like the weird. first paragraph, I was like, oh, this is a great. Nope, nope, this is Moraine. Okay, it's, it's Moraine. let me go back and change my notes because yeah. that's how I section my notes. I but... think what it's trying to do is it's trying to highlight how 
Rand is really... He, he's being effective and he's really trying to not be predictable and controllable. And honestly, I kind of think that's a good thing. A little I do. bit. I, do I don't think that any one person should be able to control the Dragon Reborn. That's no. just not the point. Like, if Moraine was meant to be controlling the strings, she would have been the Dragon Reborn. <laughs> that's a hot take. <laughs> okay. I mean, I don't necessarily disagree, but oh yeah, sure. Like... She's clearly not supposed to be in charge here. Or she would have been Taviran. Like, she she would have had some sort of pull. And she has none. And it annoys her. I I think it annoys her. What I think... I think where it comes from, and this is probably just a side effect of not being in Moraine's head as much, is Moraine feels desperate. Like, she sees the end of the world coming. And she's... we, We realize earlier in the series that she has known that this is coming for like 30 or 40 years. Basically, when yeah. she was raised to be Aes Sedai, she was told, she witnessed a foretelling that the dragon is coming, the world is ending. And so she's been living with this reality for probably not 40 years because she's like 50, 60, I want to say. Best guess, I don't know, ages. Um, but Especially Aes Sedai ages. Especially Aes Sedai ages. But so she's been living this for a long time and it's here and she's losing control or she's she's not even losing control she's losing sight of I, how to steer uh, steer the world away from it and i think it would be a little less annoying to read in her perspective if we had more of that more frequently yeah and i think that's something that i actually enjoyed about the show focusing a little bit more on Lorraine because yeah, it think... made it less like all of a sudden weird that like why are we getting a random chapter where Moraine is irritated not being able to control everyone I would rather have like instead of it feeling desperate it just felt petulant yeah I I can agree and I I will say that it opened up with the like I'm annoyed at Lan yeah and then it was like and I'm annoyed I can't control Egwene and I'm annoyed that this person is doing this and like Rand picked the wrong high lords to send away and I could I can't control Tom. It just felt very it felt very teenage complainy the way it was written. Welcome to being an Aes Sedai. And I'm just like <laughs> I, it kind of if you think seems, about it. It, it it was immature. And I it's not something I've come to expect from Moraine. <laughs> so I don't know if it's just this section, this chapter was kind of poorly written or it's a, it's a couple of things. Or if I, it I was just a rare we'll, moment of Moraine being immature and she's allowed that. It's just, it's weird that we only ever see her yeah. be very mature and calculating. And then we the first time we get into her head in two books is her being a petulant teenager. Before I get more into that, I do want to say that I think that for its, I think, quite serious uh, underlying issues, the first season of the show... They they made a wonderful, just like probably one of the best decisions that they made was making Moraine the main character of the first season of the show. That was excellent. Because we did get to see more of her immature moments by having that happen. Right. You get to see a stressed out Moraine interacting with a land who isn't always in lockstep with her anymore. And that's, I think, where... So a little bit of that was hitting, was getting hinted at at the beginning, where, like, Lan is starting to kind of buck Moraine's bond a little bit. It started in book two when she was like, by the way, if I die, your bond is getting passed on. And here it's... He's falling in love with Nynaeve. He's He's fallen in love with Nynaeve. (laughs) And so she's starting to feel... And I think what we're seeing here is, is two main things. She 
a, a major aspect of herself is kind of insecure. Yeah. Her bond with Land is not the most secure it's ever been right now. Because Nynaeve exists. And she doesn't... She says in this section that she doesn't begrudge him that or her that. And if she could give her... If she could give Land to Nynaeve, she would. But she's not going to. But she can't, so she won't. And so there's that. And then there's, I think... The other side of what's happening, and, and this is, you know, this is an insight from having, I think, read the whole series. And Moraine falls a, a lot less into this, but what we're seeing here is somebody who's so used to being in control, not being able to be in control at all. I think it's, I think for me, it is just that she's been in control for three books, and the second we get into her head, it's like a personality shift. It fell out of character. Yeah. And that's because we don't spend enough time in her head or because we don't see enough of her guard down. Like if this if this chapter had been from Lan's perspective when we got to see Maureen freaking out or we or we had gotten previous chapters like in the show when we saw those interactions with just Maureen and Lan. And we can see her being stressed out and Lan kind of being her sham wow a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) We don't get any of that in the books. And so the first like it just was jarring. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And I the this book kind of opens up a lot of the onion layers for a lot of characters, right? Like we've started to learn even like we started to learn stuff about Tom in two and three. But like Tom's got a lot of depth to him and we're getting more of that here. I am loving Tom. Tom's great. I think um, it helps that now I picture hot Tom in my head. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't play with the mustache tugging that happens later. No. But, <laughs> but so like Tom's getting depth. Matt is getting a lot more depth. I mean, Matt was basically rebooted after book three, or in book and three. And Matt saved book three for me. Right. I am full on team Matt. <laughs> Perrin is getting a little bit more depth. Perrin is getting more texture. He had depth. He's just getting texture. Yes. He's getting some happy texture, too, in the way of Fael, in that, like, yeah, there's a lot of, like, annoying stuff happening between him and Fael, but at least it's not like, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Not like I'm destined to go crazy and turn into a wolf. It's like, oh, you get some normal problems now. Right. I am all for team parent having normal teenage <laughs> problems. Not I'm going to go crazy and turn into a wolf. Yep, and then axe murder my wife in an alternate universe. Anyway. Listen. <laughs> uh, but then we also, we're getting stuff from Elaine and Nynaeve, and we're getting all sorts of stuff. And we're getting world things, because we've learned so much about the Aiel and the... Uh, What's the, what are they? What are they called? The Sea Folk. Sea Folk. Athan Mir. Um, we've learned a lot about them just in their brief time here. Yeah. So like this, this book is the texture book. We're getting world building, but it's disguised as character development. It is. It's great. Because like we get these added characters, not just this info dump paragraph about like oh, are you customs? We get to see yeah. the customs modeled through these new characters that we're developing. Right, and I think a really good example of that is Elaine and the Windfinder towards the end. Yeah. Where, like, we're learning stuff about, one, she has a conversation with the Windfinder about why do they call their ships he. Yep, that's interesting, and I didn't quite understand whatever it's it was. basically but... the same reason, I think, that people call ships she here, but... I liked it that it was the opposite. And I think it kind of says something... It's an inversion, right? Because the Afanmir have... It seems like their women are in control of the ships. 
part and partly control, I think. Like, yeah, well, there, there's in clearly, certain aspects. There's clearly a partnership going on where the like sailed mistress, mistress, the captain, and the windfinder—they're all women, which makes sense because we learned that the windfinder can channel. And then it seems like the men are in charge of trade and commerce, and there's a partnership between the like quartermaster and the sales mistress. Yeah. And it's a given. At least it's, on this ship, they're married. Yeah. I don't know that that's the case on every ship, but... Right, but there's clearly a give and take. It's kind of something that, like, it's like kings and queens, except equal. Like, when, you know, this when, feels when more... two monarchs get married to each other, they both have their equal responsibilities, but of different things. Yeah. And this this does feel a bit more, let's say, egalitarian, because the... Quartermaster, I th- trade master. I don't remember what uh, he was, but trade master. Yeah, the trade master of of the ship that they're on gets real upset that they're diverting course because these fucking eyes to die are like, hey, let's go somewhere else. Yeah, and he's like, why didn't you say anything? Right, and then she's like, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to make like I'm I make have to pull rank here. I'm gonna have to pull rank, and you know, it's my ship. I'm the one who decides where it goes. You decide what we trade, and I don't get to say what you trade. And in his defense, he's not upset because she's making a decision. It's just that if you had told me, I would have made different purchases. Now what am I going to do with all this stuff? Right. Like, you are hindering me doing my job. I know I can't control your job, but now your job is affecting my job, and that's not usually how this goes. Right. And later she says, I can't remember her name I either. remember her name. She does make a fun joke, but I'm going to have to make this up to him later, but at least it's always fun. Right. <laughs> Which I'm like... <laughs> but she, she like, gives detail. Like, I have to make it up to him. I can't just do that because it's fucking rude. Um, <laughs> She's like, but we're married, so I get to do it in a fun way. <laughs> right. And she also is like, I basically just have to put out my hand and he puts money in it because he's that good. Yeah. And, like, it, it just, it, it's not explicit, but it gives a sense of, like, there's a good give and take between the relationship between a salesmistress and the trade master. Yeah, they both are kings of their own domain. Yeah. Back to the Elaine bit with it, though, where Elaine discovers that the windfinder of this ship can channel. They're kind of breaking protocol, right? Basically, Aeol are never taken on ships that can channel. Not Aeol. I said I. Are never taken on ships that can channel because they're trying to protect the Windfinders from the White Tower being like, hey, you can channel. You know what would be really cool as an optional but not really totally mandatory thing? You should go to the White Tower and learn how to channel. They don't want to be voluntold to go channel. Right. At the tower. They're like some that they send off as like a, yeah, we have people who can channel, but they're not very many of them. Yeah, it's kind of a decoy. Right. People probably wouldn't have been windfinders anyway, but can channel. Maybe. And so Elaine learns this, and she like swears to keep it a secret. And but we we, we do learn that Moraine has her suspicions because of course she does. It's Moraine. And she starts to like learn from the windfinder. Like, can I? Can you teach me things? And the windfinder's just like, you were an eyes to die. Why do I need to <laughs> teach you things? It's like, well. One, because I'm not really an eyes that I, but also, let's learn from each other. Let's have a sharing of... Right. And, like, that that section taught us a lot about the sea folk, but it also taught us a lot about Lane, who is kind of, like, hungry to learn things and is really good at making these, like, natural connections between people. Yeah. And I think that her being a future queen is part of the reason why she's able to do that. Definitely. And I think that... 
her and Rand's trysts to go make out. And also, snuggle. And snuggle. We all know what snuggling means. Well, we know Rand what cuddling world. means. I feel like well, I actually true. trust Rand when he says snuggling. Do you trust Rand or do you trust Elaine? Or do you trust both of them? Elaine didn't say snuggling. Elaine, didn't Elaine say- would fuck Rand. She absolutely would, and she would probably say some sort of flowery version of it. When Rand says snuggling, I don't think it's a metaphor for anything. I think they just snuggled. Rand is weirdly too innocent. <laughs> yeah. And he also would probably be a lot more, like, cagey about it if they did yeah. fuck. Yeah. He would be beating around the bush about it. Yeah. But anyway, not was not my point, but thank you for that. <laughs> I think that their trysts to go sneak and make out in corners wasn't just about making out in corners. I think her natural ability to be able to kind of maneuver people rubbed off on him a little bit. Yeah, because he plays the game. When when announcing that he's going to leave, he groups up all of the, like, conspiratorial high lords and ladies yeah. and sends them off to tear and, like, orchestrates something with one lady who's, like, trying to assassinate him. Yeah, so well, Maureen's talking about that one. It's, like, Altima or something. I don't know how to pronounce her name, but the one whose husband is sick and who's um, the guy she's having an affair with died. The, yeah. The guys that Tom was playing yeah. around with and playing the game with. Maureen says something about, like, Tom targeted the wrong person. He should have been targeting her. She's the dangerous one. Right. And Turns then, out Rand can take it from there, though. She Maureen doesn't like how he handled it, but he did, I think, at least recognize that she's dangerous and tried to send her away, just like he did all these other lords that are also trying to kill him. Maureen just doesn't think that that's going to actually work in his favor. She thinks, the second he said, like, he mentioned all those lords, she's like, oh, good job, Rand. And then he mentions her, and she's like, ooh, shouldn't send her with them, though. Send her somewhere else, because then she's just going to be able to conspire. And Yeah. So he's playing the game really well. He's just not playing it perfectly. No. Which, fair, he's, like, 19. Yeah. I think the we've seen three people who can play the game potentially perfectly. Two definitely can play it perfectly. One, maybe. Those three are Moraine, Tom, and maybe Swan. I think Swan can play the game, but I think she's probably the one who's not as great at it because she didn't grow up playing the game. Right. Moraine and Tom are clearly experts because a lot of the stuff that they've been doing has worked with what the other person was doing and also against it at the same time in different ways. Right. And it's because they kind of grew up knowing it. It's... Maureen has this inherent ability to play the game just based on who she was born right. as. And Tom inserted himself at a very young age, I'm going to guess, because I don't think he has any sort of noble lineage like no. Moraine does. But he had skills. He was able to insert himself probably from a very young age. And so he, you know, yeah, ha- has skills that other people don't, which yeah. make it also easy for him to perfect playing the game. Yeah. And Rand is also doing a really good job at playing a game playing the game in the only in a way that only he can, where he goes he goes in front of the, all the high lords and ladies and is like, you're going to tier, this guy is going to get me a deal with Myene, or I'm going to execute him because he says that that's what I should do. And then he just stabs 
the he stabs Kalindor into the stone and is like, in case you forget, this is here. You can try and take it if you want. But you shouldn't. But you really shouldn't. It's also interesting, the way he makes all these announcements, he says, like, the army's going to march and everyone's thinking, yeah, we're going to go take down Ilian. And then he's like, no, we're going to Kyrian. They're like, yep. do you think that's going to work? He's like, I already know who I'm putting on the throne. And I'm wondering, like, Elaine? <laughs> or is he going to put Elaine's mom back on the throne? Because I don't know. Who knows? Like, who is he going to put? Who is he deciding he's going to put on the throne? I know. <laughs> that's the whole point of the that's podcast. That's the podcast. <laughs> it is that podcast. <laughs> but, yeah, so he's like, we're going we're gonna to march for Kyrian. Yep. And he's like, I already know who I'm putting on the throne. And it's and, like, but do you, though? And he's like, uh, he, but he's also like, we're going to march for Kyrian, or rather, you're going to march for Kyrian. I'm going somewhere I'm going else. Elsewhere. And I'm going to sword in the stone, Kalendor. Yep. He's like, he who can probably try to get it out is more than welcome to. And Maureen, when she catches up to him after, she's like, are you dumb? Anyone who can channel can pull that thing out. I can try to pull it out. Yep. Anyone of the Forsaken can come and get Kalendor, and he's and they like, can, "They can use it now that you've taken it." And he's like, "I rigged it. Yeah. It's fine." Yeah. There's... Anybody with the power who touches it is going to die. He booby trapped it. Yeah. It's he, they're going to die, and it's going to use that power to reseal itself. Yep. He's like anyone but me, basically. Anybody who anybody who doesn't know about the wording and knows how to get around it. Yeah. Because Moraine now knows. That get it around exists. it, but she or knows that it exists, but she doesn't know how to get around it. Right. And I don't necessarily think that Rand would tell anyone how to get around it. I think no. he would sooner die than tell a Forsaken. Yeah, very true. It's like fuck the prophecies, come <laughs> at me. Because <laughs> yep. I'm pretty sure he's kind of going like the way the prophecies are written. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, if he has to die, he has to die at a certain time, kind of thing. Kind of, like yeah. So it's like yeah, kill me before you're supposed to. Right. I dare you. Let's just restart this whole thing and let the next dragon take care of it. Yeah. And he has really decided that he gives no fucks. He really doesn't. And he's, he's for, using the fact that he's the dragon to his advantage. He is. He's just kind of accepted it, which, good, because yeah. I was tired of him being like, I'm not the dragon. Now he's like, fine, if you want the dragon, you'll get the fucking dragon. But he still has moments where he's not the dragon, and one of my favorite moments, and this is like when he's so confused about Elaine, you can tell he's just Rand in that moment. He's like, but she wouldn't have wanted me to tell her to stay. Yeah, Egwene's like pissed at him for not asking her to stay or go with him. Egwene's not pissed. Necess- she's, she's a little pissed. She's a little pissed. She's but, pissed on Elaine's behalf. Yeah, she's like, and so why did you fuck over my friend exactly? <laughs> He's like, like, I fucked over your friend? How did I do that? He's like, I've got two different notes in my pocket, and if it wasn't the same handwriting, I'd be very confused. (laughs) Yeah, the notes come up a few times. And he also talks about, like, this heart-shaped stone in his pocket, and I don't remember what that's about. It's, like, behind the... It's underneath the letters. Oh, I'm wondering if that's literally just his heart he's talking about. I don't remember that. I just there yeah there was like a he mentioned a stone heart underneath the letters and I don't know if that's a metaphor or if he literally has a stone shaped like a heart in his pocket that's what it sounded like yeah but he's just like I am so confused she I know she I could I know she couldn't stay she shouldn't stay she has to go to Tanchico she's got important things to do she wouldn't have liked me telling her to stay what did I do wrong right I'm with Rand here I am too 
The only thing, and this is very like how I would write the interaction on Elaine's behalf is like, a, I'm not going to tell you to stay. You need to go. We can't do this right now, but I am looking forward to seeing you when you get back. That's probably what he did. It's Rand. I don't think he said anything about looking forward because he doesn't he doesn't think he's going to see her again. That's true. If he had just said, I want to see you when, again, she might have been like, all right, I'm a little mad, but at least like you didn't <laughs> completely break up with me. Yeah. You just, we went on a break because I've got to go to Tanchico and right. you've got to go to Roydian, I yep. guess, which is where he's going. Yes. He, he like starts marching out of Tyr and then tells Moraine and Egwene where they're like, headed. I'm going to march out of Tyr and because all the Egwene's, Aiel are going to feed Because Egwene's me. So like, I, I need to go to Roydian. He's like, yeah, okay. I'm going to go with you. <laughs> and it shocks everybody except for the Aiel. Yeah, because they're like, okay, we'll yeah. go to Rodian. He has them look out a look for a portal stone. Apparently that's what he's been doing, looking at maps, is finding portal stones. Yep, he's going to do the portal stone thing again, which you didn't remember happened. Yeah, because they're fucking portal stones. I didn't remember the portal stones were a thing outside of book two. That's what I'm surprised about. Where's your memory on this one? I don't know. Get it together. They might come up again later, now that I think about it. Just like once or twice. But so, not really... yeah, he's he's leaving Tyr. Maureen, Lan, and Matt are going too. Yep. And at first I was like, why is Matt going? Oh, yeah, he's going to Rodian. He has, to go to, he has to go to Rodian. And he's in incognito mode. Literally, he's just not wearing a jacket. He's just wearing a white shirt. He's just not wearing his jacket and carrying the dragon banner. And right. that's all he's doing. He's riding a horse, which probably looks a little weird. But he's just like, eh, I'm, they probably just think I'm some sort of a lord. Yep. And that's what it seems like, because everyone's too afraid of, like, the billion Aiel that are coming with him. Yeah. And seeing as the last time that these... All of the townsfolk have not really even seen the Aiel. They've just heard about them, but they're kind of like a... Eh, but they don't really exist. They didn't the take the stone. They didn't, also, they didn't take the stone. People are making that up. Oh, no, yeah. they took the stone. Yep. A bunch of them left it. But there uh, are still a bunch there, I think. I don't know if all of the Aiel went with him. I think all of them leave the stone. Or most of them. Like the vast majority of I them. I got leave a little confused in that section because <laughs> Rand was talking about how the people probably think there's more in the stone. So I didn't know if that meant there was or if he's just like, I think the stone is safe because the people are going to assume there's more Aiel in it. Yeah, well, I mean, the Aiel basically showed up out of nowhere and took the stone. Yeah. So they're, they're all of the people of tier, especially the like defenders of the stone are probably looking at every shadow now being like, are there Aiel there? Are there Aiel there? Especially because when he goes in to make his announcement, he just brings like 50 veiled Aiel. Right. Which is just like... Like, that's a fucking power move. Because the, the Aiel cool only veil themselves... Cool flex, bro. Yeah. The Aiel only veil themselves when they're ready to kill. Yep. And you know, they probably were like, they probably weren't putting on a show. If Rand was like, hey, uh, you want to kill some Aiel? They might be like, yeah, well, we feel like killing some Aiel. Not Aiel, some tyrants. Yeah. They'd be like, yeah, all right. We feel like killing some tyrants. That's cool. And then they take like a fifth of their gold, but not even a fifth. Right. Because there's so much treasure yeah. in the stone that... And Aiel, I gathered that Aiel custom is whenever they take a place, they just take a fifth of the stuff and then leave. Yeah, except, except for, for food. food. Yeah. Yep. Which is fair. It's very, like, eat the rich mentality. Yeah. It's like, a, I'm going to take these things that these people clearly don't actually need, but I'm not going to fuck over the people who need food. <laughs> right. And, like, these people that I'm taking the riches from, they can just buy more food. Yep. Because yep. I'm only taking a fifth. Mm -hmm. It's very 
equality, but also eat the rich. Yeah. <laughs> Which, like... Something yeah. that'll hurt, but not decimate a clan. Yeah. Because they're from the desert, where you probably don't want to kill off a whole people by just constantly being in war and destroying each other. Mm-hmm. So you got to figure out a way to resolve a conflict that leaves your opponents hurt and unable to fight back, but doesn't endanger your whole people. Right. And we get a little bit more about, um, like, clan interactions in this section, too. I got a little bit confused in the part where they're, like, talking about clan wars. I got a little confused when they are talking about clan wars. Yeah. But then there was the bit about, like, oh, but once we left the Waste, we all had to pretend we were from the same clan? Is that what was basically? Yeah, I was so confused. when the Aiel left the Waste, the Wise Ones basically said, you have to treat everybody on the other side of the Waste as if they were in your clan and your warrior society. Yeah, which and they are clearly struggling with from the Stone Dog Maiden of the Spear interaction we got. Uh, that, I think, is just how they treat each other. That is. It's just, it was a funny quip interaction that I enjoyed. Yeah. We learn a little bit about, war, a tiny little bit about warrior societies where, like, they're they're kind of like friends even across clans. Yeah. They're at least, like, they understand each other even across clans. There's two clans named, three clans if you count the gen. The gen Aiel is where Roydian is supposed to be. The gen Aiel is supposed to be that clan. I it felt but like they don't they exist. They're like a mythical clan. Okay. Yeah, I um, got confused and that chapter was just very confusing. There's the Tardad Aiel, which is Ruark's clan. He's the clan chief. And that's also the clan that Avienda belongs to. And then we also hear about the Shido, which is just another clan that is apparently not very friendly with the Tardad. Okay. There are a bunch of warrior societies. And then the other thing that we learn is that there are special rules around Roydian where uh Ruark is not concerned about any blood being shed on the way to Roydian because Aiel culture like strongly forbids shedding of blood when somebody's going to or returning from Roydian. And since that's where they're all going, they're not all that worried about right, it. Right, no one's going to going to break the custom. So, yeah. That's all we really get about Roydian. Other than that, the Aiel are all kind of like not shh. <laughs> not yeah, they're like shh. Yeah, we don't talk about Roydian. No one talks about it. And apparently that's kind of the same thing with the, also the phrase people of the dragon, where really only wise ones and clan chiefs talk about it, but not often even among themselves. Yeah. Which is weird. We'll learn. I think we learn why it's, why they don't. There's, we learn a lot of stuff at Rodian. Rodian's big, big, big place plot wise. I don't know how big it is actually as a city. Well, they don't really have cities according to. Yeah, that's true. They really only have like holds. Yeah, because. Or Egwene says something about Avienda being like, this was the first city I've ever seen. Yeah. So whatever Roydian is, is not a city. Yep. And one last thing happens there, which is they find the portal stone and Rand doesn't know the symbol for the Roydian portal stone. And And it's between two that Ruark points out. Yep. And then Matt's like, "Eh, well, just flip for it. I'm lucky. Yep. And they both kind of randomly pick the same one. So they're like, well, that has to be it. The way that Rand says it, he, Matt's just like, you guessed it? How did you figure out which one I already picked? And he's like, well, it had to work for me sometime. I don't know what. His Taviran luck nature. Okay, thing. I got... Rand is confusing. Yeah. 
Why you gotta be so weird? Because he's the dragon. Make more sense. (laughs) He also has an angry That's how he also has an angry That's how he's gonna try to channel everyone this time. Little fat man with a sword. Yep. And Moraine's just like, what the fuck? Why do you have an angry How do you even know it's gonna work for you? Yep. How do you know these things? He did a lot of reading in the stone. He really did. He's like quoting the prophecies. Loyal would be proud. Maybe Loyal helped him. Loyal didn't help him. But I wish that would... I I, I want that. I wanted that. That's why I was like, where is Loyal? Why aren't they reading together? Even if they're not reading about the same thing, why aren't they in the library together? Just being bros, reading books. Right? That's all I want for Loyal. Yeah. I want him to to have book friends. And it would be Rand, who even before all the Dragon Reborn stuff was kind of a bookworm. Yeah. His dad had books. His dad had, like, a shelf of books. Yeah. He it's read like, stories. Damn. Like, he named his horse after a horse in his favorite book. Right. He's it's a, nuts. He's a little bookworm. He's a little bookworm. Modern Rand would absolutely wear hipster glasses. I don't know why. I just... <laughs> <laughs> That's a take. That is a take I don't agree with. How he, dare he you do that to I, Rand? He definitely wears glasses, but he doesn't... I feel like he wears thick plastic frames because he doesn't want to deal with the metal and because they're sturdy. And he probably falls asleep reading. So you gotta have sturdy frames for that. I don't know. I just feel like Rand is like a classic bookworm. And I don't know. Okay. I don't I don't agree with that. He has okay. bookworm vibes. Him and Loyal. He, a little bit, yes. A little bit. He has bookworm vibes a little bit, yes. Not a huge amount. But a little bit. He wears like cozy sweaters because he's he also a shepherd. Cozy sweaters. Yeah. And I feel like he would wear glasses. But he's a really good archer. They're all really good archers. Nobody in the Two Rivers needs glasses. They're all too good at shooting things. Maybe he's farsighted. I guess. Anyway, there is one group of things that we have not covered, which is the Perrin and Fael section. Yep, speaking of loyal. Speaking of loyal, which is filled with witty banter. It is. We also get more Aiel stuff with water oaths. I don't really know what that is. Yeah, there's Perrin, but... Yeah, I mean, it sounds kind of like a blood oath. Yeah. But with water, because the Aiel are from the desert. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And we do get um, some quality banter, though. Yes. Uh, we learn here that Bane and Chiad are accompanying Fael, but yep. not Perrin. But not Perrin. <laughs> because this whole thing is two two groups of people going to the same place along the same way at the same time. But not together. Not together. Absolutely not together. Because apparently Bane and Chiad, they, they like Fael and... Carl's just kind of like, I think they're intrigued by the fight that you and Fael are in, and they want to see what happens. Yeah. That's basically why they're going. <laughs> yeah. And they're poking fun at Gaul, calling him slow, and he's poking fun at them. He ba- he tells Bane that he thinks that she became, he thinks that she's good at running, and that she became a maiden because it meant that she could run away from any man. No, he says it to Perrin. He's like, Perrin, do you know why... <laughs> <laughs> right. Do you right, know right. why the maidens of the spear run so fast? It's so that they can run away from the men who are proposing to them. <laughs> well, <laughs> or who would want to marry them. Yeah, because they're the ones who'd have to propose. But they run so fast because they want to run away from marriage. Yup. And it's pretty funny. Gaul's got some Gaul's got some like good burns. I like Gaul. He's fantastic. I'm digging the him and Perrin friendship. Yeah. I want what I want is I want a Gaul and loyal friendship to emerge. Because that sounds like a good time. I, I can't for the life of me remember how much they interact. They interact some. They're on the same trip. Yeah. I, I don't remember how much of like an actual friendship comes out between them. So we'll find out at the same time. But no, I'm feeling like the, like Perrin and Gaul are, are like a... 
they're a budding bromance. Kind yeah. of like how I want Ruark and Land to have a budding bromance. Yeah. That's just... a lot less likely to happen. Sword Dad. Sword Dad. Sword Dad, Spear Dad. Yeah, Sword Dad and Spear Dad. Just sharp objects, fathers. Yeah. They've got they've got the same character vibe. Like yes. same character, different font. Need them to be friends. Yeah. Except, Perrin and Gull aren't same character, different font, but no. I do still want them to be friends. Except I will say that Lan has Lan is sword dad and has sword dad vibes. And like Lan could get it for obvious reasons. Ruark kind of has and I, I shudder to say this daddy vibes. <laughs> <laughs> You did I not hate, just bring that into this podcast. <laughs> I hate that I said that, but he does, doesn't he? Someone absolutely calls him daddy. <laughs> He's got multiple wives. He's married to a wise one. He effortlessly and without any tension manhandled Barrelane and was like, go to your room, young lady. I can hear him saying good girl. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Only... Why did you do this to me? <laughs> <laughs> Why do I absolutely know that this fan fiction exists somewhere? With who? Is it just him and, I, I guess, oh man, who's he married to? Um, the wise woman. Um, which one? Um, I don't remember which one. Uh, the one who was in the dream. Yeah. A mace? Mace, yes. Yeah, but only in private. Because he's got to maintain his, his clan chief demeanor. And she can't... She can't... She has to maintain her wise one demeanor. But who knows? Only in private. Only in private. Maybe with multiple people. We don't know them. We don't, we don't know their lives. Why did anyway, you have sorry to, to drop that, that bomb on you. <laughs> it's absolutely accurate, though. I feel uncomfortable having said it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little proud of you that you said it, so... But he has that vibe, and Lan absolutely does not have that vibe. No. No, he doesn't. Like, like I said, Lan could get it for other reasons. He's fucking Lan Mandragoran. Yes. Most people would like to be. Either they'd like to actually be him or they'd like to literally be fucking him. Yes. That, I, would, I would enjoy that. Yeah. Where were we? Um, Perrin, Gaul. <laughs> Perrin, Gaul. Perrin and Gaul. We've gotten distracted by Ruark and his <laughs> daddy, Ruark. daddy energy. <laughs> I'm saying it more and I hate it more. Oh... Uh. Anyway, Perrin and Loyal and the, the two parties and Fael and everybody gets to the Wigate outside of Tyr and they open it and Perrin's like, nope, I'm going in first. <laughs> well, because there's like, Rand causes an earthquake. We haven't yeah, talked about that, that either. The stone is shaking and they feel it as they're trying to go into the Wigate and the girls feel it while they're on the boat. Yeah, the boat like gets rocked. And they're like, oh, God, the hull. Oh, the hull's fine. All right, let's go. Yeah. Yeah, we don't really know what else is with the earthquake. It doesn't get mentioned again. It doesn't. I feel like it was probably using the portal stone. No, because it was before all of this. We don't know that. There's nothing in the timeline there that contradicts it being the portal stone. Except that both mentions are before Rand says he's leaving. Except they have separated from Rand before he does that. Perrin left in the morning, so when we pick up with Perrin, they're they're leaving. I don't know, I just, I don't think it's the Portal Stone, just based on the timing the, of when these things get mentioned. The other thing I think it could be is him putting the stone in the sword. That? Or the, the sword in the stone. I think it's that. Because those yeah. things all happened close together, 
I feel like them leaving Tyr happened a lot later. So they had to get all the people together. That's true. They had to raid the, the stone. That is true. That is true. So it's probably him putting When he's sword in the stone. Yeah. Calendar. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they go out of the ways. Perrin is determined to be in front for as long as he can be, which is basically until the first, like, guidepost. Yeah, ways. so he, they go to the first guidepost. Just like, to, just to, like, fuck with Fael. Yeah, basically. It's like, it's full of grumpy sunshine vibes. Yeah. They are full on just, like, fucking with each other. Pretty much. Um, Which I... Enjoy, but also... It's gonna get old. It's gonna get old. Yeah. At least, I don't mind them fucking with each other. It's just specifically about this one thing. Yeah. Fortunately, it can't last too much longer, because eventually they're just going to be at the two rivers. Yes, and then they can find something else to bicker about, and that's fine. Oh, man. The two rivers. One other thing I want to mention as they're prepping to leave. Galt... Gave some things to some Tyrian from Perrin to be brought to the Dragon Wall Gate. I don't know what he's like. Did you have any trouble doing the thing I asked you to do? And he's like, Nah, I gave all the things off, and they're gonna do the thing. Oh, he split up like resource, like rations and shit, to be brought by different grooms people to the gate where they were gonna leave from, so that it was less suspicious. Ah, okay. Yeah, I just didn't get what happened there. Yeah, he also makes. Paul promised to uh, get Fael out of there if shit goes sideways. And he's, he's like, like, I'll try. I'll try. And not, not uh, he he's not 100% confident that he can, not just because Bane and Chiad, but also because he notes Fael's pretty good with the knives. It's like, respect. Gaul is a little worried. And I think he's not worried in like a, I think he's worried in, I don't think that I can get her to do what I want without hurting her in some way, which yeah. violates what you're asking me to do. Right. So he's like, I don't think I can do this and have her go along. And then there's the added factor of Bane and Chiat are also there. Right. Who are probably about as skilled as he is. Yeah. And there are two of them. I do think that the three of them there will protect Fayil from anything that happens. Because Bane and Chiat are going right. because of Fayil. Yeah. So if shit goes sideways, they're gonna protect her. Yeah. And Gaul's gonna protect her, too. Yeah. Definitely. I think he's gonna try to protect Perrin first. Maybe. He's got a he's got a blood oath. He's got he does. He's got a he does. He's got to return the favor. Yeah, yeah. I'm realizing that we actually did leave out one bit, which is that Tom and Julian are with Elaine and Nynaeve now. Yes. They show up. Moraine asked Tom to go with them. Yeah, that well, that conversation was very interesting because they both Tom and Julian were. Talking about things, but not fully saying things, right. and so that they wouldn't get overheard because they noticed that they're not that Elaine and Nynaeve were not wearing their rings. Yeah, and so they're all trying to be as Tom is a little better at it. Tom is a little better at it, but he also has to be better at it because Moraine's involved. He's like Julian's just like some rock-faced dude woke me up and told me to go with you. Okay, let's talk about that. It's easily the best thing in this entire section. He's like, some guy named Lan woke me up and was like, you got to go on the boat to protect the girls, I guess. And he's like, apparently he was sent by some other guy who's some shepherd or something. (laughs) Imagine getting sent somewhere by the Dragon Reborn and not knowing the Dragon Reborn sent you. And it's not that they got, that Julian got sent to basically help protect the girls. It's just 
that, I mean, is great. And the fact that Lan woke him up and was like, go on this boat to yeah. protect the girls. It's the implied conversation that Rand and Lan had of who can we send to protect our girlfriends? Yep. <laughs> Julian's an odd choice. I Tom, absolutely the right choice. Tom has the type of skills, and I'm not saying that Julian isn't skilled in ways that Egwene and not Egwene, Elaine and Nynaeve definitely need. And I think he's also skilled in ways that Tom is now lacking because of his leg injury. That's true. Julian can fight at least a little bit. He's relatively skilled. He can skilled do with, close quarters, whereas yeah. Tom, Tom can, can just do porcupine. long distance. Yeah, because he's got all the knives. But yeah, it's the implied conversation of Land storming off and being like, do you know what Nynaeve is doing? Yeah. What can you do to Viren? And he's yeah. like, let's just... Let's like, send that thief catcher. Let's send that thief catcher to help protect our girlfriends. And then Land's like, I, okay. And yep. then runs off again. Yep. And Nynaeve is a little unfair to Julian here. I, I get where she's coming from. She, like, very much does not trust Julian. She's like, you're a traitor. The last time we spoke to you, you betrayed us. And that, and I don't think that that is unfair. Her think... not trusting him. Trust is earned, and the only interaction they've ever had was her getting surrendered to Lanfear. So Leandrin. I... Huh? Leandrin. Lanfear would have been way worse. Oh, yeah, to get surrendered to Leandrin. Imagine Elaine in Lanfear's hands. <laughs> I do not want to. But so I think... her... She's a little bit more vicious about it than she necessarily needs to be. I, I think... I can... It would be more understandable if she's like, I don't trust you because you haven't given me a reason to, but I don't, but I'll let you try. Like, she's, the way she's coming from is, I am never going to trust you. And if, if it was more like, I don't trust you now, but I'm willing to let you try to earn my trust again after this first interaction that we had. I think two things. I think that Nynaeve is being unfair to Julian. And also, I understand why she's being unfair. I don't think it's unfair not to trust him. She's I think being she's, a little mean about she's it. She's blaming him for what Leandrin did to him. In that scenario, he is just as much of a victim as she was. But that doesn't necessarily because mean Leandrin that... Leandrin mind-controlled him. Yes, but that doesn't mean that, oh, well, I guess I trust you again. No, it doesn't. And trust that's why earned. That's why I understand it, but it doesn't make it not unfair. I think it's a gray area. It is a gray area. I definitely understand where she's coming from. And she does trust Tom a little bit more. She she needs to get over the inherent and extreme mistrust of Moraine, though. Because just because Tom was asked to go by Moraine, well, and she's like, mm, I don't trust you anymore. The way he says it, too, he's like, I was asked, asked right. by Moraine. Which yeah. is very much him going, she coerced me into this. But he also, I think is trying to get across that he could have said no. And he's choosing to be there. Right. You know, there was something that Moraine was saying or doing that persuaded him to go, but he still had the option to not go. And he did. He just gave him an offer he couldn't refuse. Right. And this whole time that they're having this conversation about whether or not to let them uh, travel with them, Elaine's staring off into space, trying trying to figure out where she knows Tom from, and then mid-conversation reaches out and tugs on his mustache. I love it. I It's hilarious from Elaine's perspective. If I read it in Tom's perspective, it would be heart-wrenching. Oh, my God. And they have another conversation later where, like, Tom's trying to, like, get around it. He's being way too familiar with her. 
And he's trying to hold back from it because he doesn't want her to know. But she's like, you are being so familiar with me. And she tugs his mustache again. <laughs> and she tugs his mustache again. And she's like, but I don't hate you for being familiar. Why? Yeah. And I just wonder, like, how long it's going to take her to realize who she, who he is or have him reveal to her who he is. Like, Yeah. I'm trying to remember if I, if I have an idea. I don't. I don't remember if it does. Actually, I do remember if it does or doesn't happen. I don't even remember at least that much. Yeah. Because I feel like it would be like a big thing. <clears throat> yeah. I can't really say if it does or doesn't happen or how long it takes to happen. No. Because that would spoil things. Yes. And this is not one of those spoilers that I'm like, I actually have to know the answer to this or else I'm not going to keep reading. Right. I'm very I'm very conservative with the, that question. <laughs> yes. I think I've only asked it once so far. Yeah, and I also am not unafraid to hit you with a read and find out, which I have not done yet this book. Yes, you did. Did I? Last episode. Oh, damn. And then you said, I think that's the first one. And then I was like, no, it's not. Clearly, I have a fantastic memory. Yes, clearly. You know what I am going to remember to do this time? Recurring segments? Yes. What's your favorite moment? I think it is the implied conversation that would have happened between Lan and Rand about let's go send Jewel and Sandar. That was good. Like, it's <laughs> is my favorite moment allowed to be something that probably didn't actually happen or like <laughs> something that was just implied to have happened? Uh, I'll allow it. Also, just stone-faced man coming and dragging me out of bed. Yup. Sent by yep, a shepherd yep. <laughs> that also is like Land didn't say, oh, the dragon reborn sent me. He still is referring to Rand as the, the shepherd, sh- the yeah. sheep herder. Yep. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's yeah. good. Just, yeah, Land and Land and Rand. I think the. Because okay. Maureen also mentioned Land and Rand together. Because yeah. I don't like how Land is attached to people, but at least his attachment to Rand I can use to my advantage. Right. Sort of. Maybe. He's not going to let her do that. He's already starting to be a little bit... Yeah. Anyway, my favorite moment... I, I So I initially had said that my favorite moment was the Elaine and Tom stuff. Because it's just kind of pure. But in talking about it, I think that is supplanted by Elaine kind of feeling out the Windfinder. Okay. So just boats. Boats. <laughs> yeah. But both... I, I like both, right? Yeah. Like the, the Elaine stuff, it's nice to have a connection between characters that doesn't feel forced but it's it's a coincidence and it doesn't feel weird that that coincidence exists and i think what both of those moments have in common is like elaine trying to figure things out yeah and it's one of those rare moments that we get elaine character development that isn't reliant on other pov characters yeah like all of her character development in this book so far has been being stuck in between Nynaeve and Egwene or right. revolving around Rand. And well, this is revolving around her. It's her yep. wanting to learn how to channel like the Windfinder and yeah. her figuring out her history with Tom. Right. She's a very curious person and she's kind of getting the room to be curious. And this is the side of Elaine that I like. Yes. Agreed. Ship update. Any new ship updates other than... They're on one. They are literally on one. That's true. Um, I don't think any ship updates. Yeah. There's no, nothing new arose. No. We've got a married couple, but... Yeah. I guess uh, Daddy Ruark. Daddy Ruark. <laughs> I think just, that goes under the ship category. Just kill me now. 
Uh, and I don't think we had any weird prophetic auras this time no. around. No. It was a very, very character section. Yeah. We went backwards with our recurring segments. We did, didn't <laughs> we? Not so great at remembering the order, apparently. And it's funny because it's right in front of us on my computer. It is. We are looking right at it. <laughs> yes. But, yeah. So this was chapters 18 through 22 of The Shadow Rising. Next section is going to be chapters 23 to 27. Bye. Bye.